Hey, three weeks ago, we started a series that we're calling Three Days, and we are looking at the last three days of Jesus' life before he was crucified. And life had changed so drastically, so abruptly for his followers that truthfully, truthfully they, they seemed as though they would be his last three days, unless you know the whole story. I tell you all that uh, this morning specifically because life has changed so abruptly over the last seven days for us that I know people who, at least initially over the last few days, wondered if these would be our last days as well. I actually had someone call me and ask me, do you think that this is going to be the end? And the fact that we're all worshiping online today is just uh, another reminder that things have changed drastically in our lives. And if this is your first time worshiping with us here at MCC, thank you so much for being part of this online gathering. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here. We have pastors online right now uh, that you can contact if you would like to have someone pray with you, or if you have questions that you would like to ask. These last few days have been challenging, to say the least. And it seems safe to say that our lives are going to be different for some time now. And I don't know if you caught the video that I shared on Friday, but I said what is most important to us is that we as Jesus followers engage uh, these concerns in a Christ-like way. And while it's crucial to be informed and sensitive and wise in the way we approach this outbreak, it is equally crucial that we conduct ourselves in a way that reflects our confidence in a trust uh, in a God who offers hope regardless of circumstance. So we encourage you to take this opportunity to display peace rather than panic and prayer rather than fear and selflessness rather than selfishness. But you are going to have friends uh, who, with what we're going through, it's going to have the same effect that we're going to see in one of Jesus's closest friends. And if you've missed any of this series, I hope you'll check it out at our website. But last week, we left the upper room uh, and walked into the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus has asked his followers to pray with him. But while he prayed, they all slept. And so they weren't prepared for what was going to happen next. Actually, that's not entirely true. They weren't all sleeping. But that's because not all 12 of the apostles went to the garden with Jesus. One would come to the garden later for Jesus. Matthew records it this way. Then he turned to the disciples, Jesus turned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And, and look at what happens next. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. And then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus, and they arrested him. One of Jesus's followers, one of his 12 closest friends, betraying him. And we know where we are. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane. But it begs this question, how in the world did we get here? And if you were here last week or if you've caught last week's message, you might remember that we read in Luke chapter 22 that Jesus went out as usual, right, to the Mount of, of Olives. Uh, 
This garden was a place that Jesus had taken his followers before, and so Judas knew exactly where to go and how to lead those who were going to arrest Jesus right to the place where he would be, which answers the question how he knew where to find Jesus. But it didn't answer the question, how did he get there? How did Judas get there? Because that question is asking, how did someone who had followed Jesus, how had someone who had been a friend of his, had seen what he had done, how did he become the one who would betray him? So Luke gives us some backstory. In chapter 22, he writes, The festival of the unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. And the leading priests and teachers of the religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Listen, this was great for the religious leaders who were looking for a way to have Jesus killed, but they feared the crowds because people actually, they loved Jesus. And all of this, what we're looking at now in Luke 22, it occurred just two days before he came riding into town on a donkey. And people were spreading palms on the road before him. Today we call that Palm Sunday. Can you see the pieces of this story coming together? Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. The religious leaders are looking for a way to eliminate him, but they need an inside person for the job. Verse 3, then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted, and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so that they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. This is just another piece of the puzzle. And we all know who betrays Jesus, right? It's Judas. And just saying that name brings up all kinds of negative connotations, doesn't it? I mean, nobody names their child Judas anymore. Somebody told me this, so I looked it up, the word traitor in a thesaurus. Among the words that are synonymous with the word traitor is the name Judas. You know, when you look uh, in Scripture, whenever the 12 apostles are listed uh, in the Bible, Peter is always first. Guess who is always last? And he's always identified as the one who betrayed Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Judas was a thief and that he would steal money from the uh, money that Jesus and the 12 lived on. You know, all we remember about him is that he was a scoundrel, but it wasn't always that way. You know how nobody names their baby Judas? Well, when Judas's parents gave him that name, it was a very popular Jewish name for boys, and they had high hopes that he would live up to his name, which actually means praise to the Lord. They hoped that he would live this life that would bring praise to God. And do you know what job Judas had inside the 12? He was the treasurer. That's how he was able to steal money from the group without anyone knowing it. Who do churches make their treasurer? It's people who have been around, right? People that we trust implicitly to handle the finances. And I want to point out one more thing. A couple of weeks ago, Adam talked about the upper room when Jesus said that one of his followers would betray him. It's interesting that we don't read that the other 11 stood up in indignation and pointed at Judas and said, I knew it. That never happened. They were together 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and nobody suspected him. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus raise the dead. He was there when Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. Most scholars agree that Judas was not happy with the direction Jesus' ministry was going. He was actually 
disillusioned because he hoped for a nationalistic Messiah, one who would help overthrow Rome. And so Judas got to the garden that night for the same reason that some people who have followed Jesus turned away from him even today. He became disillusioned with Jesus. You know what disillusioned feels like, right? My guess is that for some of us, it had to do with a person. You become disillusioned with people. Sometimes that happens in a marriage. You meet the perfect woman, the perfect soulmate, and so you charm her, you woo her, you win her heart, but now that you're married to her, honeymoon is over. Or maybe you feel like the wife who said, I, knew he, I know I married Mr. Right, I just didn't know his first name was always. Disillusionment can take on many forms. You know, maybe it was the employee that you hired, the perfect fit for the job, only they're not the perfect fit and they can't handle the job. Sometimes circumstances leave us disillusioned. You thought college was going to be a blast. You were going to make new friends. You are going to have exciting classes, a whole new world. Instead, you find yourself isolated and broke and alone. Maybe you retired from your job, looking forward to doing some traveling, spending time with grandkids, going fishing, working in the garden, just getting some rest. And then suddenly one of your parents' health fails. And that puts pressure on you beyond anything you could have ever imagined. Or this virus. Listen, no one planned on the repercussions we are now facing, the disruptions that we have to our day-to-day -day life. You can't even get toilet paper at the store anymore. Maybe you're disillusioned with the church. You had thought there would be no problems and that all is perfect in a spiritual place like the church, but you ran into a member who has this harsh spirit or this foul mouth and it has tainted your view of the entire church. Or maybe Maybe you thought the, the preacher would have the biblical knowledge of Billy Graham and the servant's heart of Mother Teresa and the boldness of the Apostle Paul, and then you met me, right? Listen, maybe you're disillusioned with God. You became a Christian thinking life would get smoother, and quite frankly, it didn't. Sometimes it seems more difficult, or you pray and you pray, and it seems like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and falling back down. If I can say this without belaboring the point, if God really is as loving as people say he is, and if he really is as all-powerful as people say that he is, how can this be happening in our culture right now? Judas's disenchantment centered around the most important relationship he had in his whole life, his relationship with Jesus. So what happened there? Because that change didn't happen overnight with Judas, and it doesn't happen today uh, with people either. So note this, somewhere in the process, you will come to a place where you need to make a decision. What do I do with these feelings that I have? Notice that one of the decisions that Judas made, because we will too if we're not careful, is we're going to begin to distance ourselves from other believers. When John records uh, the Last Supper, he adds a detail that the other three Gospels leave out. Look at verse 30. As soon as Judas had taken the bread... He went out, and it was night. He separated himself from the other believers. Did you know that of the 12 apostles and Jesus himself, Judas is the only one who's not from Galilee? I wonder if you ever felt like an outsider, like had he always struggled with being different than the others? We, we don't know. But what we do know is this betrayal destroyed any sense of belonging he might have had. That he was a spy in the enemy camp, and spies can't afford the luxury of friends. 
So Judas distanced himself from the others and ultimately from God himself. Hebrews chapter 2 reminds us of this. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So what we need to do, and maybe this is your next step in your faith journey, is to intentionally draw close to other believers. When life isn't going as we planned, it's natural to withdraw. But that's the time when we need others the most. There's a warning here for everyone who follows Jesus. When you begin to disengage from what you know to be right, you lower your standards and you excuse your behavior. You pad your expense account or your taxes. Bible study gives way to exercise classes. You're not as generous with how you live and slowly you begin to move away and disengage. You know, that's part of the reason why God said in Exodus chapter 31, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between you and me for the generations to come so that you will know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. And one of the reasons that I love that you've chosen to join us online is that this is a reminder to us. We gather typically physically together in this room today in a show of love for each other. We meet online like this to remind each other that our gathering is a sign between us, each of us, and all of us, that God is God in our lives. Listen, here's the difference between Judas and the other disciples. While all of the other disciples also went through a time of disillusionment and confusion, they stayed and drew closer to Jesus. While Judas pulled away from from Jesus and the others and moved closer to the enemy. So check this out. When I'm disillusioned, I can, most likely will, hurt the ones I love. Primarily Jesus, but the others as well. Because of his own selfish ambition, he stabbed his friends in the back. When we're disillusioned, when we're frustrated with life, sometimes we lash out at those we care about the most. And part of your remedy, and so maybe this is your next step in your faith journey, is to make sure that we demonstrate love in a tangible way way. Listen, when life is not going the way you thought, the way you think it should, it's time to look for tangible ways to help somebody else. We are going to have both routine and unprecedented ways to serve others as we move forward in response to this virus. If your health is not compromised, this is your chance. This is our chance together to stand up and be the church Find a need and meet it. That shift in focus can do wonders for a bad attitude. I want to make sure that you notice, so we're not naive enough to think, that this was the only bad decision that was made that night in the garden. Verses 50 and 51 say that one of the eleven, Peter, in response to the mob, draws his sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. And I just want to make sure that you know, nobody thinks that was Peter's plan wasn't to cut off his ear. Most likely, he was uh, swinging away to cut this guy in half, uh, and he misses badly enough to just catch his ear. When it comes to warfare, Peter's a great fisherman. Uh, Verses 52 and 54, Jesus says, seriously, if I wanted retaliation, I have a whole God army at my disposal, and they don't miss. But what's happening is what has to happen. The other bad decision made that night by everyone there, by the way, verse 56 says they all ran away for their lives. All heat of the moment didn't get prayerfully prepared in the garden type decisions. 
but not for Judas. His decision process went from talking to religious leaders on Tuesday to actually betraying Jesus Thursday night into Friday morning. It was at least three days long. And he had time to think about this before then. There was a lot of time to think through what he was about to do. He could have repented when Jesus prophesied of his, of his betrayal. He could have gone to the chief priest and said, here's your money back. I've changed my mind. But this kiss of betrayal, it may as well have been the pivotal turning point. He had crossed this line in the sand and there was no turning back. So we find ourselves at this moment, Matthew 26, while he's still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Again, while this is decision time, don't miss this. This decision is the result of a series of smaller decisions, none of which honored God. But the kiss was the line in the sand. The Bible tells us that Satan had already entered into Judas days before, but with this kiss, we see that Judas has allowed Satan to take up residency within him. And in our lives, listen, we know when we're in process. We know when we're coming to that line in the sand, the kiss. The question is, what's the kiss for you? When have you crossed the line? For the alcoholic, it's the moment when he pushes open the door to the bar. For people involved in affair, it's the words, I'll meet you at seven. The kiss for the violent may be the moment when they pull back their hand with anger in their eyes. For the divisive, it's when they choose to speak words of criticism and sarcasm rather than to hold their tongue. For the addict, it's going to that secret stash in the house that no one else, that they think no one else knows about. And listen, the truth is we've all sold out Jesus at times. Maybe not Uh, in those ways, and maybe not to that degree that Judas did, but we all know what it's like to get to that line in the sand in our lives and walk across it. Look at what happens next. I want to give you this out of the message version. In the first light of dawn, all the high priests and religious leaders met and put the finishing touches on their plot to kill Jesus. Then they tied him up and paraded him to Pilate, their governor. Judas, the one who betrayed him, realized that Jesus was doomed and overcome with remorse. He gave back the 30 silver coins to the high priest saying, I've sinned. I've betrayed an innocent man. And they said, what do we care? That's your problem. And Judas threw the silver coins into the temple and left. So let me ask, why do you think Judas tried to return the money? Verse 3 tells us he was seized with remorse. And that's a great first step. Haven't you? You've tried that before, right? You realize you've made the wrong decision, and so you choose to try to undo it. 2 Corinthians uh, 7 tells us godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, a different type of sorrow, brings death. I just want to say Judas went to the wrong place. He allowed his guilt to send him back to the enemy camp instead of seeking restitution with God for genuine forgiveness. And it seems that Judas went from being disillusioned with Jesus to being disillusioned with himself. I don't know if you've ever been disillusioned with yourself. You've looked in the mirror and wondered, who are you and how did you ever get to where you are today? Here's the thing. The tragedy is that Judas failed to repent Listen, Judas still could have changed. He could have gone back to the disciples. He could have tried to get close to Jesus. He could have 
made known to God and to others, I blew it and I want to undo this wrong so that the Messiah will be saved. Listen, even though his betrayal led to Jesus' arrest, he could have, if he hadn't done it, Jesus was still going to find a way to die because that's why he came. Jesus' death was not Judas' fault. Acts 2.23 says Jesus died because of God's foreknowledge. It was his set purpose, his foreknowledge. But Judas could have come back to Jesus after the betrayal and received forgiveness. And when my disillusionment leads to separation from God, and maybe this is where you are, so your next step in your faith, I need to confess my sin and I need to accept God's forgiveness. Because Jesus' mercy knows no bounds, provided that we ask for it. Provided we long to restore our relationship with God. Don't let your weakness, don't let your failure, don't let your sin, don't let your guilt alienate you from God. Rather, let them push you toward the Father for healing. Judas didn't do that. The rest of verse 5, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and he hanged himself. Listen, I share that verse with you to say this. Disillusionment, if it's not dealt with, can lead to destruction. And I want you to listen to me. If that's where you are, if you are on the brink of destruction, you need help now. And so for you, this is your next step of faith. Because we have pastors online who can listen and pray with you and point you in the direction of a professional counselor who is a follower of Jesus. Be honest enough with yourself to get some help because everybody, everybody becomes disillusioned once in a while. The key is how we respond to being disillusioned. So listen, if your immune system is not compromised and you're not ill, here's a way to take your focus off yourself and put it on someone else to draw you closer to Jesus. Check with your family, especially the elder. Check with your neighbors. Watch our website and social media platforms as we work with our city and school leaders to serve those in need. But if you are compromised in any way health-wise, the best way to reflect the kingdom of God is to show your wisdom to others by staying home. Make calls, send emails, your prayer time. Listen, maybe your act of love in this time will help someone headed toward disillusionment to actually see the love of Jesus lived out in someone else's life and help them put their trust in him. Hey, thanks for joining us here. And we'd love to connect with you. Adam mentioned that earlier. And so on our website, uh, if you'll hit any of the drop-downs, You can connect with us there. We would love to do that. And if you would like to financially support what God is doing through MCC, mccgives.com is still the most secure way to support this work. I I can't tell you how much it means to have people gathered together online at this time so that we can still be together, still be encouraged uh, by each other's faith, but also show love and safety and be great examples to our friends and neighbors who are watching us as followers of Jesus to see just what that looks like in this time. We get to walk it out right in front of them. Listen, let's let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. 
And we're grateful that we get to be looking at these last days of Jesus' life. And surprisingly, surprisingly, well, maybe not so surprisingly, our lives look similar as we walk through different times in our life that seem so uncertain where, where it's not what we thought it was going to be at all. And we have decisions to make. And so, God, as we walk through uncertain days right now, may the decision that we make be either to walk out our faith in front of other people so that they can see you and be drawn to you, or if we're struggling right now with our faith, that we would reach out to someone and ask for help. Father, people are watching to see what we as Jesus followers do, to know that we don't always have it all together, that we don't always do the right thing in the right way for the right reason. And when we falter, really what people are looking for is to see what we do next. Help us, Father, to follow you well and to show others how to get to you. We pray this, Jesus, in your powerful name. Amen.